Hello, friends. This is Ken Aldridge, head of school. And in this edition of the Quaker Matters podcast, we get to hear from Cynthia Stan Mello, a Wilmington Friends School faculty member for 44 years and a parent of four Friends alums. Cynthia will discuss on this episode her love of teaching, her passion for art, and why she dedicated so much of herself to the Friends community. I hope you enjoy. Sometimes I always called it a stop the world. Sometimes you might be doing something that's just not working. Uh, and maybe you have to stop and listen to your students or listen to yourself even saying that's not working and try something again or ask who you're teaching what would benefit them more and really listen to that and not just listen. Okay, yeah, sure, we shared, but actually taking it and do something with it. I think that's where that innovation, that creativity comes in. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Quaker Matters podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Cynthia Stan Mello who served Wilmington Friends School for an incredible 44 years as the upper school visual arts teacher. Cynthia, how are you? Good. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing well and excited to learn more about you and your career here at Wilmington Friends. Um, But before we dive into that, just in doing a little bit of research, I learned that your father was an art teacher, artist, and designer. And I guess I'm just curious as to what ways did he inspire your love of art? Well, uh, that's absolutely right. I actually was born and raised in Delaware, so I've lived here practically all my life except for a little bit of an adventure, leaving for graduate school, traveling abroad, etc. And I grew up in a household where my father, he was actually an art teacher at Slazianum for many years and also Mount Aviat Academy locally here, but he was also an illustrator a graphic designer. I guess you could say he's one of those um, artists that worked for himself, but he wore many, many hats. He was definitely a big influence in my life with creativity, always doing things that had to do with outside of the box. He was a cartoonist also. His sense of humor was amazing, and he was well known for it. As far as uh, teaching art, I never really wanted to be an artist or an art teacher. It was interesting because I think it was one of those that we all go through. You don't want to be what your parents are going to be, right? So um, although I was right there all the time from being in a car, we would go out and paint plein air. He would take his watercolor pad and I would sit next to him and always get angry because I was never as good as he was. That was me, not him. He was always encouraging so there must have been some seed planted, obviously, um, genetically and also interest, because the one thing that I did really take from him is he liked to play. Play and creative and solving problems and invention and innovation, things like that, that I always found fascinating. So obviously, um, I ended up being an artist, uh, creative, the same as he not following a very linear path in some ways, because when you are in a creative field, you do many, many things. 
but um, I ended up being an art teacher as my the stamina for life. <laughs> for sure. Well, and and I guess I'm interested. You mentioned spending a lot of those formative years with your father and maybe not necessarily like wanting to be an art teacher, but you end up, you attend Colorado State, you receive your BFA and certification in art education, and then you also received your MFA from Penn State. So I guess what drew you to teaching art, especially at an earlier age, you may have been more resistant to that idea. I was always the kid in the neighborhood that was organizing things. Um, I was always the one that was organizing what we were going to play, in particular, put on a play. I loved to direct, and I also just liked to work with my hands and watch other people build and do things as you know I did. And also knowing that my father taught and his relationship with some of his um, students throughout the years and, and uh, what that brought him in his happiness and just fulfillment really influenced me. I, I went on to, well, in my school, I graduated from A.I. DuPont High School, actually. My associate with her friends was very, very early with Quakerism because at the age of, I think it was nine or 10, my parents moved from Fairfax to uh, Hookessen, and I lived right across the street from the uh, Hookessen Friends Quaker meeting. And I'm not a Quaker, although I'm embedded in quite a bit of the philosophy and teachings of that. I, um, it was like this mystery place here with the Quakers. Uh, we used to go into the meeting house. It was left open most of the time to play, and so we would play in there. But um, having gone to a public school, my teaching experience through a, uh, an art teacher, the art was, teaching was not, the art was not taught the way we uh, kind of have developed it now as really it is an academic. So um, I was always just gravitated to doing that set design kinds of things like that all the way through. When I applied to colleges, I applied everywhere I went. There was no go- college guidance, nothing like that. Had that little bit of seed still, I don't want to do what my parents do. In the time, females, there weren't a lot of, what would you say? I mean, you know, you had certain choices. You could be this, 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 this. And teacher was one of teacher, secretary, nurse. I didn't have a great deal of mentors that did anything else. So I applied to different schools for different things. And when I was accepted at Colorado State University, that was one of the schools I applied in art and art education. So it was, uh, what would you say, karma or those things that are called, you kind of fall into into that. Now, when I eventually attended there and it was some of the most amazing, memorable experiences of my life and formidable um, because it's way across the country too. Um, I was always a part of traveling with my family, but we had never gone, I had never gone West. So I went West young woman and um, the cultural experience of that just led me also into more things with the teaching through uh, school and, and other parts of uh, that education. Um, I did get out of undergraduate school for uh, a while. I, I double majored. I got my BFA in fine arts, and actually I was a printmaking printmaking major. I mean, that's really an interesting kind of thing to say. I'm a printmaker. I mean, what is that? I mean, particularly today, right? I, I don't fix printers. I don't do anything with that. 
But uh, I also double majored with art education. And I became involved in tutoring and uh, volunteer work. I worked for the recreation department there in summers. And then I obviously did my student teaching. Another formidable experience, though, after that was that I um, was a substitute teacher. I was I worked <clears throat> in a restaurant. We should all do that once in our lives. But during the night and then during the day, I was on the substitute list out in um, Colorado. They had a different system there. It was almost like a full-time job where um, you became a on the substitute list and you had a status. And then they would call you almost every day, particularly for art. So I substitute taught from kindergarten through 12th grade at all different different kinds of schools. So after doing that, I wanted to go to graduate school. I had this image goal. One of my um, professors there uh, that I went and talked with, he said, oh, you'd make an excellent uh, college professor. You should go to get your MFA and then apply to be a college professor. So I applied to all various schools and I ended up at Penn State coming east, and I was given a teaching assistantship. So I taught there for two and a half years while I was getting my um, Master of Fine Arts. And once again, that was something that became formidable to teaching and my association with education. And um, I really liked it. I, I, I liked teaching. I liked learning. And um, in order to teach, I you have to learn. And so you respond to an ad in the paper in 78, which you, yes. uh, for Wilmington Friends, which started your really long and impactful career here at Friends. So I guess what excited you most about the opportunity to work at a Wilmington Friends school with, again, a little bit of background from, you know, growing up near the school, but not attending the school? That ad is definitely one of in my most important memoirs. And in fact, I uh, had that on a poster uh, in 2022 when I did re- graduate retire from Friends. I highlighted that because that was the beginning of my association with Friends School. The ad was from the News Journal. My mother, uh, well, I graduated from Penn State and at that time I didn't have a job. I was applying to all kinds of teaching positions. And my mother gave me the paper and said, you need to get a job. You need to look at this. It didn't tell where the school was, which is really interesting, Jake. It just had a post box number that you sent your resume to. And there was a phone number on there. It was the old school phone number. And um, that you called to tell them that you had sent your resume. So when I eventually found out it was Wilmington Friends School, I really found it kind of, again, another, I mean, life has all these different um, spider webs that go out and it comes in. So when I found it was Friends School, we went through the interview process and, and I was offered the job. I also had to coach hockey, field hockey. So that's where it all started. I went in, I cleaned out my art room. That whole part of my life began. I was excited by it. It was a challenge and I always took on challenges particularly um, something to do with uh, teaching art. You mentioned that initially you thought you might only stay at Friends for a couple of years. And I'm, I'm just curious, at what point in your career did you realize that Wilmington Friends was a special place to teach and, and somewhere that you wanted to be for the duration of your career? 
I think the one thing about teaching and particularly that I felt is that just like a student, you can go in and every year you, you can change, you can improve on, you have, you have a different kind of um, calendar. I think I always saw it as, oh, there's the ending, you're exhausted, all that. And then then there's something about next year, I'm just going to do that better. It's, um, it's, you know, anything, you just want to do it better. So it was that challenge of everything happening that you wanted to do better. Also the connections with people. Um, over the years, different connections, different find the relationships with your students and, and what you're doing and feeling like you are getting better or you want to figure out, you know, what's going to happen next. So I don't know if there was one spot. I, I kind of, life just happens at the same time you're reacting to it, living in the now, learning from the past, looking forward to the future. Um, I eventually had children and all my daughters and now, you know, my grandchildren, they're, they were part of the community. They're lifers. My husband also being involved in, you know, things dealing around the WFS community. So um, some of that also took place because I wanted my daughters to uh, go through school at Friends. And we were fortunate enough to have that be able to happen. And the education that I felt like I was giving them through working was another component to my own satisfaction as a teacher. And fighting for the arts at France too, because there was quite a bit of uh, passion in me that it always should be as important as some of the other subjects there. Mm-hmm. And and that was something else I really worked on over my whole well, 44 years. I mean, we're still working on that in the world. I don't know, there was only one spot. It kind of just kind of happened. Maybe, maybe eventually as my daughters were in school, um, it just kind of you know, it just made sense. I wanted to do that. But even after they left, people said, oh, are you going to leave now? And I was like, no, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm having too much fun in ways that I, I still have some things I want to do. So I just, it just happened. And uh, I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did. What was it like sharing the experience of friends with your children? It's, as I said, I'm not a Quaker. Um, I, I'm kind of a multi-belief person, um, but one of the things I've always embraced about Quakerism has been the meeting itself and the idea of um, sharing and listening with as much as possible non-judgmental, although we all get to that kind of little back backstage part. Um, even today, uh, all my daughters are out doing all different various things, and even with my granddaughters, if something's going up, we will say, okay, now um, let's just sit, take a breath, breathe, you know, let's sit in silence a little bit here or think. And what, how can we solve this or how can we act to this differently? Uh, that listening facet is big, big. And all of us, sometimes even, uh, <laughs> We might kid my husband, Emil, because he hasn't had his close um, involvement in that. But we always talk about having, um, like, he, he'd, be in, he'd be involved in different meetings at work. And the meetings that he is involved in at work are totally different from any of the experiences that all of us have had at Friends, you know, as a student or even now with my one daughter who's faculty there, where, you know, you have this listening and sharing and, and the agenda goes out a certain way. I think that's that is really a wonderful connection and also a, a wonderful 
skill that all of us, all of them and myself, um, still live by and still live with. Uh, I haven't attended a meeting since I have left, um, and I do miss miss that. I miss meeting for worship and what that brings to you. I mean, how many places tell you to go sit for 45 minutes and do absolutely nothing but think? And we all need that more. It's that meditative part. Um, so that has, and they've told me, and in fact, even the aspect of that non-judgmental kind of thing. I know my one daughter uh, went off to college and she had been a lifer at school. And so she wasn't used to other people openly kind of just shunning people because of the way they looked. And um, she was told, why were you hanging out with those people in the art room that looked so strange? And she said, what are you talking about? It was like, well, they're just so weird. How We didn't want to say hello to you because you were with those people. And she was like, what is with you guys? You know, it's kind of the um, a different reaction of acceptance um, that or a, a need for hearing, as I said, that listening or understanding of what someone else is thinking or doing. And it's not an immediate stereotype that you're throwing out there. So I think that's very important. And I feel it. Um, and they've stated to me, my, old, the, my daughters, I feel even in my grand, my grandchildren that have that. As a teacher, you are presented with new students each year, and especially from an art standpoint, I would imagine I just have myself in in my head, like just with various abilities, some who might want to take honors art, IB art, and then some who are there to fulfill their requirement and move on. I, I guess I'm just curious as to how you were able to connect with each type of student and, and meeting them where they are. First thing I'd like to state is I think art or the creative field should be mandatory and you should have to do it every single year, just like math or English or science. All of this, the courses that are required, um, you know, do we all want to sit and do math? Do we all want to sit? No, but it's important to you. And I have always, my conjecture here is that Art is just as important. People have different math skills. People have different levels of you know, skills in foreign, uh, in a second language, in a, um, in sciences, etc. We all have our forte or our loves. We all have our challenges. Um, some people call them "I hate it" or "I disregard it," but they all make for a wholeness of of a person. And I look at art as a creative field. I think that. One of the things that is lacking recently, I just bought a book on play, is that we, as we gain our years um, and all the other responsibilities in our lives, we kind of put aside how the what how we play. Yeah, we have video games, we have television. Um, yeah, some of us still read books, but imagination and play that is just so so important to human nature and also. Uh, I think health, mental health, um, and how that's okay and or we can do that. So specifically to what you asked, Jake, about different levels, I never really, obviously, you, you know, some that just have more of, a, of the, a skill that or a want, a desire, a passion. And I think a desire, a passion, and how often you do it also has something to do with your skill. You're not going to learn to play the piano unless you practice and you do it. And so it's the same within, I can't draw that statement. I can't draw, everyone can draw. There's a level of 
expectation that we place on ourselves. And that seems to happen as we go through our education. The educational system needs a lot of revamping in different ways. Um, and it's that judgment placed on it that, you know, you have to draw what? Realistically? Well, there are some people that realism, realistic representational, I should say, is, is not, does not make you a good artist. It's really in your creative mind. I had, um, I remember uh, an art student, actually his name is Daniel Joseph, and uh, he is <laughs> the most creative, creative of creatives uh, that you could have. And when he was coming through the art room, he uh, was very reluctant to take art major. It was not an IB situation then. So it was like an art major and they had AP Studio. And he went to the then college guidance office and he was signing up for his courses and the college guidance person then said, oh, Daniel, you know, what are you going to do with art? You can't do anything with art. He shouldn't take art major. You know, go take go take another second science. Well, Daniel was just not like that. Daniel, from early on, every year through middle school, I knew him at school, he would put on a haunted house at his house and he would raise money and, and give it to... Uh, uh, his charity of his choice. So we would all go through his haunted house and he wanted to be a Disney Imagineer. That was his goal from early on. And I said, you can do it. And he goes, but I can't draw. And, you know, I've been advised not to take art major. I can't draw. I can't create. I, can't. I said, that's just something you're putting up for yourself here. I said, Daniel, sign up for art major. And he did. And he drew. Now, the level of drawing, I wasn't judgmental on that. You can't be judgmental on that. But he drew. He was creative. He, he could make things visible through imaging. And where has he ended up? He is one of the top creatives <laughs> as a Disney Imagineer. You know, he, he went his, his uh, path. So being an art teacher, what I have always locked into is the idea of imaging, ways to image. Now, even through challenges of, we had a student that was um, multi-physically disabled, similar to Helen Keller years ago. And she came through the art room. Obviously, she could not see, she could not speak, and she could not hear. But her sense was in touch. And so we created a curriculum, I created a curriculum through my colleagues at the time, of how, and we did have an art credit, it was very minimal, we had art credit, and she experienced imaging, art, making things through her touch. Um, she did have smell, too, and I think she only lost her sight when she was maybe three or four, so she had some association with a memory of color. So we used... Um, those smell markers. We use string art. She worked in clay a lot. And even through the music program, she would be able to have vibration touch. So what is the association of that coming through the arts or the creative areas of, um, you know, in my case, visual arts, if you can't see, well, you can still have the arts and touch. So it's, it attains, as we all know, even now, our senses. So I think some of our apprehension that in particular students apprehension comes from those, their parents or, you know, those 
that have had other experiences. And so I've always tried to open up to uh, information and letting people know that this is about creativity. And it's about, in the case of visual, obviously making something visible, even if it's through touch, they can't see, they can feel, and it's an expression of feelings, so feel, and your senses that way. I think everyone can draw or everyone can image. My basics of my curriculum has always been on that. I saw something last year, like you taught over 5,700 students during your 44 years at Friends. What is one thing that you hope each student took away from a class of yours? One of the biggest parts to my association in teaching, and obviously it's been at Friends, has to do with connections. And what really speaks to me, you know, let your life speaks, what really speaks to me and that I just hold golden is um, hearing from past students. And some of these are just surprising. As we all know, we, we all experience things different. We can be in the same room and have the same thing happen and we can all tell, you know, what happened. And it's all different is to have some sort of connection in a memory that made a difference to them, them being my student or working in the art room or working with art, you know, just having that experience that there was like a light bulb that went off. And even if it was just for that one little time, so some sort of connection. And, and, and I have heard back in, I guess, what is it? Andy Warhol said, you're, you're famous for what? 15 minutes or something. Everybody's famous for 15 minutes, or maybe it's even seven minutes, but um, that is what I hoped for. And that's what I hope. And in particular, not necessarily that was with me, but just seeing that the visual world or that creative, cre- that they could be creative, that they are creative, that the creativity has nothing to do with whether you can draw as defined, but um, that they had some kind of positive experience coming out. And and I have that had, I have had that happen where uh, students will write me I mean, recently when I had posted, you know, that I had graduated, retired from friends, past students from way back when, one of who I'm a very, very dear friend of, um, I mean, I see her regularly as as a friend now, was my first advisee uh, in my um, advisory class in 1978. And uh, we both had big decade birthdays this year. It was funny. Um who who just said, you know, it made a difference that I felt like I could do it. I felt like I could do some, I, I, I was doing something uniquely, me, and I could do it. And I, there was affirmation for what I wanted to do and that the positive strengths were what, you know, were pointed out and whatever. I did listen to a, a pot, the, a, another podcast and it was with Dr. Khan. And he, uh, I was honored. Um, I've seen him too. And he, he talked about how I allowed him to do his car. I set up some of the skill level for him that it had to be a 3D, you know. But it's things like that that are, that are really important. I, I feel honored to have been part of any of that that happened in all those 5,700, whatever. That amazes me too when you get to that number because up until year number 42, I was the only upper school art teacher friends. And um, when you think about 275th anniversary, I'd say 44 years as part of that is a pretty long timeline on there to 
<laughs> to be associated with friends school. I, and now being a grandparent association, I've had all different roles. But um, so I've been honored in, with that. And I'm glad it was art too, because as I've told my daughters, even as they're in their different fields, they'll run into my daughter that's the doctor. As we go back to Dr. Khan, um, she'll be in residency or something and she'd here at Christiana and she'd be in there and they'd say, is you, Kelsey Mello, uh, is, is your mother Mrs. Mello? And she'd say, yes, kind of hesitantly. And they go, oh, I love this. She goes, mom, thank you for not being someone who they'd go, oh, God, Mrs. Mello. <laughs> well, and for, for sure. And, and I think with Dr. Khan's story and, you know, the, the reverence in which he spoke about you in that class and that experience some 35 years later, I think it's it's really clear just the positive impact that you had on so many different types of students. Back to teaching here a little bit, and I think this goes sort of in in step with what we were just talking about. What, in your words, makes a good teacher, whether it be in the art classroom or the math classroom? I think teaching is one of the most amazing, important roles we all play. And it doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're in the classroom as an educator in a formal education setting. Um, where would any of us be without our teachers? I think, number one, to you, sense of humor is very important. I mean, there's a number of things. These are not necessarily cited for me in order of, you know, prioritized. I think my father taught me, I come from a background of kind of humor. Sometimes it's, as my husband calls it, he has dad humor, and sometimes that's not laughed at, but <laughs> we have a hard time understanding. But not, I think people, you, ha, you can't take everything seriously. You know, there's all those books out, don't sweat the small stuff. Sometimes you do, but a sense of humor is really good to laugh. The second thing is to be a good listener. Um, you know, we're always standing up and I, I have a hard time still even doing this. I'm, I'm a big storyteller. So listening is very, very important. Communication is difficult. When you're speaking the same language, we find it's difficult. So, you know, you can imagine different backgrounds. We talked about the different ways to image. So you have different memories. <clears throat> you have different observations. And I think the biggest thing then to go into that is to innovate, to be an innovator. Because when you are having your memories that you have your own experiences and you have then your observation and or your listening and sharing, I think it's really, really important to be resilient. And something I love to practice is um, a serendipitous kind of approach to life. Mm -hmm. I always say uh, I've learned through my own experiences, and many of us have, um, there's like, there's a reactionary kind of thing and a, a choice that you make. So sometimes things happen to you and you have to react to them. But then there's other times when you, Art can make a decision, in particular if it's changed. Well, I'm talking about even in the classroom. So, you know, we're all in this structure of what you should know at certain times, testing and evaluation and this and this. And sometimes the day or the time calls for something that is more serendipitous to it, where there's a need for something else. And so I think as a teacher, 
even though, and fortunately at Friends, in our educational curriculum, we, we can do this more often than some places. Um, sometimes I always called it a stop the world. Sometimes you might be doing something that's just not working. Uh, and maybe you have to stop and listen to your students or listen to yourself even saying that's not working and try something again or ask who you're teaching what would benefit them more and really listen to that and not just listen. Okay, yeah, sure, we shared, but actually taking it and do something with it. I think that's where that innovation, that creativity comes in. Uh, in all my years of teaching at Friends, <clears throat> I never taught the same project twice. And I know people always, there were similarities to things, but there was always a new factor in, impro in improving on or strengthening, I should say, on what I had initially tried. That creative sense and being a great student. I think to be a great teacher, you should be a great student. And you should never lose your passion for finding out about things for that knowledge or you know asking questions what if i've always been a what if person um sometimes people go oh, you can't do that because or no uh, yeah no they can't do no but what if what if we just did that how how can we do that so i think it's those are some of the uh, i said resilience i think too so some of those things it's, it's a big job. It's a really big job. Uh, get down on eye level and play. Sometimes there's just, you know, you, you need, need a break from, from the seriousness of it. And I think also the <clears throat> linear aspect that we all are still in, in education, you know, that you go through, you're going to go to college. What are you going to major in college? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? it's not really preparing us for that resilience or that creativity that, that I think, and that's one of the big factors in, uh, I mean, there's skill sets that we need to know, just like in the arts, there are skills. Yes, there are skills. I'm not saying this is just all go out and do finger painting and finger painting is great, but I think how, how to utilize and, and balance. I think the balance of that is really important. Considering that this is first school in Delaware, like what comes to mind when you think of 275 years of friends, knowing that you were such an integral part, as you mentioned, for 44 of those years? Having existed that long, I think is remarkable. Anything. Being the first school in Delaware um, and knowing that even goes back, you know, before we were even the United States of America, there's still a long way to go. I think that in any celebration of where you've been and how long you've existed or stayed, you know, there is very, very important. But um, that reflective is um, is important, too. So I'm proud to have been on that timeline. I mean, I look back on what the art curriculum was, what the school was, you know, 45 years ago when I started there in 1978 and all the different various things that happened um, to to the community and you know that what we experience and, and some some of them not good some of them good some of them excellent i remember the 250th celebration and and what that what amazing amazing things we did i remember the crane that went up to take the picture of the whole student community the whole student community faculty staff everyone and in the shape of 250 i think i have a photograph of that still somewhere um, and they had a crane come out because guess what didn't exist then? 25 years, in 25 years, right? 
There was no drone. Now you just put the drone up. Let's take it this way. Let's take it that way. They had a crane come out. They had a flyby that someone arranged for the uh, skywriters to write something up in the sky with a banner they pulled. I mean, there was just amazing, amazing things that happened. But if you look just in those 25 years from 250th to 275, what has accomplished, been accomplished or in the world? Yeah, I, I, it's it's phenomenal, and it should be a big, big birthday party celebration. Uh, I I know they have some things out there, and I hope it has to do with some of the something visual and artsy too. I promise that this is my last last question for you. But you mentioned something interesting in that answer, in terms of the relationships that you have built with many students, such as the student that you taught in 1978 and how you both shared milestone birthdays with one another. And with that sort of reference in mind, what do you hope students say about you after they have left Wilmington Friends School? Oh, um, I've touched on it a little bit. Um, Hopefully they'll remember some of my bad jokes. Uh, Uh, hopefully they'll just have a positive connection with having spent time in the art room or, or, or even not. I mean, I've, I've had many, many different advisees as our advisee groups over, over the period of time, maybe also, and we, they do not have AP art history anymore at school, but I, at one point I taught AP art history and I always challenge. In fact, when I did, um, my last wonderful class of my IB students, I, I gave them, I had this tradition, I give them a graduation diploma of my own. It's called 101 Things to Learn in Art School. And it's by Kit White. And I gave it to Ken and I gave it to my colleagues and, and then all the students that were graduating in from the that art program. And um, through that, there's 101 things and there's a number for each. And if you open that up, what I wanted to give to them was um, that, again, you know, the word art is a big A-R-T. It's not a four-letter word. It's only three. (laughs) But art is a big word. It's a powerful word. And there are, in this book particularly, it talks about A-R-T, art, but that association with that word art could really also go with life or a connection or how philosophy and how you're going to live, live your, you know, out your timeline, how you're going to be innovative, how you're going to t- use your memories, how you're going to observe, how you're going to have your fantasy, how you're going to uh, be creative and uh, survive, survive in a way that uh, is going to make you feel joy. I think there's a sense of joy that we all want to feel. Um, so when I opened that up, and and I think Ken also did that. And let's see if I open this up. At number 44 in that book, it says, the human brain is hardwired for pattern recognition. And that's the 44 years that I've been at, at school. And I think pattern, pattern recognition is very important. I hope that the students got something in my life philosophy teaching through me having them in the art room too. 
in art and how you create a composition because there's all these words and if you think about creating art it's really associated as i'm trying to say here with um your life you know you're creating your life give yourself a title titles are important now you might change the title of your life every day um so title yourself i think in one of my goodbye exposés that i gave i was talking about a fashion designer who always said you you should wake up every morning and dress the part. You can have a different part every day, but dress your part. So you should really go out with a purpose. So some of these life philosophies I'm going over right now, I hope somewhere, they might not have gotten all, all of them, but I hope that they would pick up or have picked up and remembered something in that association through their friend's school education. I know I'm not the only one doing this in the classroom either. I have, my colleagues have been amazing throughout this time. And um, I think the other part to that is I hope they'll always remember my non-mathematical equation. One plus one equals three. You get one and you get one. Well, you can have two. So you have these two separate entities, a one and a one equals a two. But if you get a one and a one and you put those things together, all those connections and in that pattern that your heart, your brain can be hardwired, but make it a little bit different, it can be three, which means that you can innovate or you can have a whole different thing that has a combination of that one and that one. So that's through the sense of creativity. There's also this gestalt, et cetera. There's other words that I've always said um, and used in my art room. So I hope that the students take from that. And I think the biggest thing is to um, find joy in what you do. Um, do it because of that joy. It's not going to be easy. Um, just you have to practice. You have to continue to practice. Just like you, if you have a uh, tendency to be able to draw immediately or keep drawing, play the piano, play a sport, be a really good mathematician, whatever, but the creativity sense and also to keep your play in your life. I hope that, that um, that's something that they, they'll remember me for <clears throat> in um, practicing and allowing for some really serious play, as I always called it, to do all of that. Um, Mona Lisa is behind me here. Uh, one of my assignments was to, uh, if they're ever in a museum and they see a work of art, or have an experience, I offer to everyone out there that might listen to this podcast, you could share my uh, email or maybe send it to you and then I can get it. I'd love them to share with me one of those uh, connections that they might have had, a memory. And also if they're ever in the museum, as I started to say, and they had that artwork that they either seeing for the first time in real life, it might be Le Giconde, or another piece to uh, send it to me and just say, hey, I connected. I remember this piece. Um, you know, as long as those spirits are alive, I think you're, you're, you are alive. And uh, I wish that for everyone. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia, for spending some time with us, sharing your wisdom, and for giving so much of yourself to Wilmington Friends. So thanks again. Thank you, Jake, for asking me to share this. And um, I look forward to hearing what I did say because... <laughs> I hope it made sense.